An MSNBC panel declares the GOP is the party of white men. You will be shocked to learn it turns out that MSNBC has gotten it exactly wrong. Then two Democrat white men, Joe Biden and Michael Avenatti, disappoint the nation when they declare their individual intentions for the 2020 presidential election. The Princeton student newspaper accuses a Disney song of promoting rape and misogyny. College leftists fake a hate crime. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez continues to fail at basic math. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Is the GOP the party of white men? This swarthy Republican man, this slightly off-white, taupe, beige Republican man will analyze all of that in a second because the person who said this on MSNBC has it exactly wrong, and the numbers back that up. But first, speaking of numbers backing things up, let the numbers back you up with Lending Club. Oh, Lending Club. For decades, credit cards have been telling us to buy it now, pay for it later with interest, especially Christmas season is coming along. You're going to be racking up those bills. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control fast. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to the bank, no high interest credit cards, just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right from you. If you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. You don't need to think about anything. It's the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over 35 billion, billion with a B, in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Check your rate in minutes, borrow up to 40 grand. That's my gift to you for Christmas is $40,000. LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. LendingClub.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, all loans made by WebBank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Is the GOP the party of white men? This is what an MSNBC panel and A.B. Stoddard on that panel is insisting. Here they are. Current Republican Party, A.B., and you've been talking with folks since the midterms uh, where they dropped a lot of seats. There's no other way to put it. But as Jonathan Martin uh, writes in the New York Times this morning, there's not a lot of signs of course correction inside the Republican Party moving forward. Right. What Jonathan points out and what these Republicans are talking about privately is is a, a new delineation, a realignment that makes them the party of white men. This is a huge loss, the fact that women are so repelled by Trump in the suburbs and moderate voters and independent voters. A majority is not made by your base alone. And they took a beating across the board except for largely white men. I love when people tell us about the uh, course, how we need a course correction. The GOP wins in 2010, we take the House. 2014, we take the Senate. Between that time, we take all of the state houses. Then 2016, we win the presidency. And then in the 2018 midterms, we don't lose by as much as previous presidents have, by as much as Barack Obama, as much as Bill Clinton, as much as Ronald Reagan. And now they tell us we need a course correction. I think the course is going just fine. (laughs) It's going just fine. It's true. Republicans lost the House in 2018. That was very frustrating. It wasn't by 50 seats. It wasn't by 63 seats like Barack Obama lost. But we, yeah, we lost the House. That's too bad. We also picked up seats in the Senate. We also held on to Florida. Uh, we flipped a Senate seat in Florida and we, we took the governor's mansion in Florida. This is, why, why do we need a course correction? What they're trying to do, what the media are trying to do is paint the GOP as the party of white men. This was the whole line during the 2016 election about the alt-right, the alternative right. I've talked about the alt-right. I did a Prager video on the alt-right. I've talked to the leaders of the alt-right. The alt-right is like 20 people. Are the alt-right uh, uh, 
concerned with race? Are they racist people? Yes. Or is the alt-right concerned with uh, white nationalism, white identity politics? Yes. How many of them are there? Very, very few. When they had their march in D.C., they mustered about 20 people there. When they have their national conference, they always get 100 to 200 people. They've gotten that for years. That's still what they get. That's their national conference in the whole country. Those are the people that they find. So what is it in the in the numbers, because the line from the midterm elections was that the GOP lost all the suburban people. They won all those awful racist rural people, and they never had a chance at all those Democrat urban people. But the suburbs, that's where the reasonable people are, and the GOP lost them. Sure, the GOP did lose some suburban seats, but the numbers don't really bear that out. First of all, in 2016, the majority of, of white women voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. 52% of white women voted for Trump over Hillary. So that at least makes me think this isn't just the party of white men. We've also got some white women. How about uh, on every other race and demographic? When you compare Donald Trump to Mitt Romney, Donald Trump got a higher percentage of the vote of black men black women, Latino women, about the same vote within one percentage point of Latino men, and, uh, and Democrats have, have seen their numbers among those demographics decline. So Trump does better than Mitt Romney on virtually every minority demographic, and he, and he does well with white women. Just as A.B. Stoddard is saying this, just as MSNBC is saying this, Politico comes out with a piece called Democrats' Hispanic Problem. Because Democrats do have a Hispanic problem. You know, when Trump descends the elevator in 2015, he says, he launches his whole campaign by saying, we've got awful people pouring across the border. They're murderers. They're rapists. Some of them, I assume, are good people. But most of them are terrible. We're told, oh, he's going to lose the whole Hispanic vote. And he does better with Latino women at least, than Mitt Romney does. And he performs about the same as Mitt Romney. So what is that? It doesn't seem to me that the GOP is only focusing on white men. But in 2018, the midterm elections, Democrats got 54% of the Hispanic vote. That's not a lot. I mean, for Democrats, that's not a blowout majority, far from it. But what about in 2016, when Donald Trump was on the ballot, Democrats got 62% of the Hispanic vote. In 2015, Democrats got 58% of the Hispanic vote. So if you look at those two elections in 2018, Republicans did better with Hispanics than the Democrats did in, in terms of momentum, not as a, a total percentage of the vote, but in terms of the momentum, the momentum is moving toward the GOP. So I don't know where they get this. I sometimes think that the people who go on these panels all the time, I guess I go on these panels too, but so many of these people, especially the ones who live in DC, they just live in a narrative. They've con concocted a narrative of how reality should be, but the numbers don't bear that out. We can, we can test these things. We know that that is the case. And I'll tell you something. I was walking down New York. I was in New York this past weekend for a little bit. I'm walking down the street and there was this Hispanic guy who had a very thick accent. Out of the blue, he turns to me. We're walk I don't think he recognized me. I think he was just talking. He was kind of a boisterous New Yorker type. And he said, I couldn't make out all of his words, but he said, you got to vote for Donald Trump. You got to vote for Donald Trump. He, and I, I don't, he, was, he had the newspaper in his hand, so I guess there was something about Trump in the newspaper. I said, oh yeah, well, I, I rather like Donald Trump. He said, you got to vote. What they're doing to him is so wrong. It's so awful. And I we were walking on the street, so I didn't have time to ask him why he thought that. But I talked to cab drivers. I talked to people that I encounter just when I'm traveling. I travel a lot. And I've, I find a lot of people, not just white men, a lot of people, Hispanic men, women, uh, black men, women, say they like the guy. And they say it in this, I, I don't exactly know why, but they really like it. Kanye West, when he was talking about this, 
uh, said he really liked the masculine energy of Donald Trump. And I think there is something to be said for that. There is something to be said that this, uh, the soy boy culture, you know, the, the, uh, a soy boy, beta male, use whatever euphemism you want, vegan, they call them herbivores in Japan, you know, whatever that is, that is a culture that is largely confined to overeducated coastal white guys. That is, that is the stereotype. When you think of the stereotypical pajama boy, he looks like pajama boy. He is the guy, he's sitting there, he's a little white kid with, you know, he's in his 20s and he's sitting on the couch bundled up with a cup of cocoa. That is the demographic, demographic that you think of. So maybe people on the coasts think this, maybe people who go to cocktail parties who went to fancy schools, but I don't think this is the case for the majority of Americans. And when you just look at exit polling from recent elections, that bears that out. And it, it's also very funny because in the same day that we're being told that the Republican Party is the party of white men, uh, and even the, even on that number, you know, uh, we know that President Trump's support among black men has doubled during his presidency. We see this w- whenever President Trump is speaking. He's speaking about all Americans. All Americans bleed the same blood of patriots. It's all red, white, and blue. Huzzah, huzzah. So you don't see Trump speaking to it. I don't see other Senate Republicans speaking to it or House Republicans. I think this is just a fantasy cooked up by Democrats. And we also know that Democrats project all of the time. So whenever they have a worry about something, they project. Democrats are the party of racism. They're the party of slavery, the party of Jim Crow, the party that voted for civil rights at a lower rate than Republicans did, the party that has one civil rights act compared to Republican six civil rights acts that we've passed as late as 1991. And so they're projecting all the time. And just this same day that they're talking about how Republicans are the party of white men, you've got Michael Avenatti and Joe Biden both discussing whether or not they're going to uh, run for president. And this is really sad. Because, because in this case, the Democrats took uh, one small step away from being the party of white men. Michael Avenatti, creepy porn lawyer, is not going to run for president in 2020. When I saw this, I, just, I, I woke up this morning, I was reading it on the news, tear, just r- right down my face. Elisa turns to me, Mac, what's wrong? Oh, no, it's, it's nothing. It's, we're going to miss out on a wonderful 2020 campaign. And it was such a tease. Michael Avenatti said just yesterday, he said, quote, I think the field is shaping up to be even more advantageous for someone like me, not less. I think my chances have only gone up, not down. He was asked about this. You know, Michael Avenatti was arrested for beating his girlfriend the other day. And he said, oh, I think I'm much more likely to get the Democrat nomination now. And he's probably right. To get the Democrat nomination, you have to abuse women and steal from charities. And Michael Avenatti was uh, accused of doing that just two weeks ago. So I think he was right. I think his chances went way up. Today, he crushed all of our dreams. Michael Avenatti said, quote, after consultation with my family and at their request, I have decided not to seek the presidency of the United States in 2020. I do not make this decision lightly. I make it out of respect for my family. But for their concerns, I would run. So what this really means is I don't want to be subject to the exposure of my terrible character when I run for office. Because when you run for office, there are whole staffs of people whose job it is to dig up every awful thing you ever did and ruin your life. And Michael Avenatti has done a lot of terrible things just in the last like 48 hours. You know, I mean, I, we, we're not even going back that far. I love when he talks about his family that we'll get into, we'll get into the, what would have come out about Michael Avenatti in one second. But first, speaking of privacy concerns and people trying to dig up all the awful things that you do, what are you looking at on the internet? 
you're looking at this show. That's enough to get you fired from work. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where your data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. We now know there was another major hack of an institution last week. A lot of information out there. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider, which is why I decided to take back my privacy using ExpressVPN. It's ExpressVPN. Easy to use apps. They run seamlessly in the background of the computer, phone, and tablet. Turning it on takes only one click. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protect yourself. I'm telling you, you can do it for less than seven bucks a month. It will be so it's less than an expensive coffee, <laughs> you know, or certainly two coffees at least. And uh, it, it's it's such a good investment. You've got to watch out for your privacy. It costs virtually nothing. Protect your online activity today. Find out how to get three months free. ExpressVPN.com/Michael M-I-C-H-A-E-L. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com/Michael M-I-C-H-A-E-L for three months free with a one-year package. Visit ExpressVPN.com slash Michael to learn more. If only Michael Avenatti had used ExpressVPN, he might be able to run for president now because he's got a lot of skeletons in his closet. But I couldn't get over him saying, I've got to look out for my family. This guy has been twice married, twice divorced. He was arrested last week for beating a girlfriend. Uh, this, talk about your family. This is what people say. You know, I tried to get Mitch Daniels to run for president in 2012. We did a student draft movement. We had 70 chapters across the country. I thought he was a great candidate, social conservative, excellent, fiscally brilliant governor, oh, best governor in the country. And he didn't run for president because of his family. He'd had this issue in his family where his wife had basically taken up and abandoned the family, gone off to California somewhere. Eventually, she came back. They got back together and continued to raise their kids. So he always said, if you like happy endings, you'll love our story. And that worked for me. But he didn't want to subject his wife and his family to the awful scrutiny of Barbara Walters sitting there across asking his family why they broke up for a period of time. And I, I get it. I totally understand that. And that's what, that's what Avenatti is saying here, except with Avenatti, it's, it, he's not trying to cover up for what his wife did. He's trying to cover up what, what he is doing. He is obviously not able to withstand that kind of pressure. Avenatti and Trump, in many ways, are parallel people. They're boisterous New York types, rough and tumble, married multiple times, you know. Uh, but the thing is, Donald Trump is always basically willing to take the bullets for his past transgressions. He's always willing to do it. He's not going to shrink away from a public duty because he was a playboy for the last 30 years. Michael Avenatti seems to be doing that. It's really sad. He would have just been an amazing amazing candidate in 2020. This, you know, the, the ratings would have gone 10% higher. It's like the wall. It would have really only gone, it would have been such a great addition to this reality show, but we're not going to get him. On the flip side, we are going to get another white male to run for the Democrat party. This is almost certain. Joe Biden, the former vice president of the United States, longtime senator from Delaware. Joe Biden says, without a doubt, he is the most qualified person to become president. Now, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Joe Biden, uh, Paul Joseph Watson put together just a little compilation of some, some highlights from Joe Biden's career you might remember. Here is uh, creepy Joe Biden leching on every young girl that he can possibly see. Biden leans uncomfortably close to a 13-year-old girl, whispers something in her ear, then tries to kiss her as she instinctively jerks away. Thank you. Thank you. 
then asks for a picture with the girl alone. Can I go with Jess alone? Senator Jim Risch then says, Dad's going to stand pretty close. Biden appears to tell the girl, quote, if I was young. In this clip, Biden kisses a young girl three times as she squirms uncomfortably while he says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. You know, right now the left is all upset about the song uh, Baby It's Cold Outside. They're all upset about Kiss the Girl from Disney. They say this promotes a culture of, you know, rape culture and no consent and all Look at that clip, because we all remember these. We saw him a little little clip of Creepy Uncle Joe, and I think it's very easy to just write it off as he's a kind of doddering old man and kind of a strange... It, it is really creepy when you actually watch... The Paul Joseph Watson video goes on for like 10 minutes or something. He's leaning in, kissing these little girls on the neck. All the fathers are saying basically, no, get away from my daughter, I'm going to stand close. It is very weird. So anyway, that'll be fun to look forward to. I'm very excited about that. If we don't get Michael Avenatti, if the Democrats don't nominate an alleged girlfriend beating a charity embezzling dirtbag from New York, at least we'll get Joe Biden, whose other claims to fame are uh, being a plagiarist, uh, having to drop out of the Democrat nomination race 30 years ago because he was caught plagiarizing and of referring to Barack Obama as the first clean and articulate African-American candidate. <laughs> if you don't remember it, nobody remembers this because, because Joe Biden and Obama are BFFs now, aren't they? There are books about this. There's a, there was actually a novel written, uh, uh, this fiction about how Barack Obama and Joe Biden are so close, they solve crimes together. I had to read it because Drew Clavin is an, a sadist and decided to subject me to that. But when they were running, uh, Joe Biden referred to Barack Obama as clean and articulate. Here he is. When you got the first sort of mainstream African American yeah. who is articulate and bright and, and, and clean and nice looking guy. I mean, it's, that's a storybook, man. Yeah. He's the first one. We've never had any of those before, have we? Any clean, articulate, bright African-Americans? Can you imagine this guy said this? He's the vice president for the Democrats for Barack Obama. Imagine if a Republican said anything even resembling that. If, he, if, if a Republican used even one of those adjectives to de- describe Barack Obama, he would be thrown in Guantanamo Bay for hate crimes. <laughs> he would be banned from every social media platform. Joe Biden gets away with it. They let him get away with it. And this is what he said at this event on his tour. He said, quote, I'll be as straight with you as I can. I think I'm the most qualified person in the country to be president. This was at the University of Montana. The issues that we face as a country are the issues that have been in my wheelhouse that I've worked on my whole life. Michael Avenatti is more qualified to be president than Joe Biden. (laughs) That is not an exaggeration. What has Joe Biden ever accomplished? What has he ever done? It's true he's been in public life forever. He's been a sort of sympathetic figure, a likable figure. He's obviously a talented politician. He's managed to stick around a long time. What has he done? What's the Biden accomplishment? Can you name any? I don't uh, Name the Trump accomplishment. He put the embassy in Israel in Jerusalem. He reformed taxes. He lowered taxes. He renegotiated trade deals. 
he hopefully will build the wall. He hasn't done that one yet. We're working on it. He reinstituted pro-life policies. He defunded, he defunded certain agencies and certain aspects of the United Nations and foreign aid. Okay, this is all very good stuff. There are a lot, a lot more. What are, even among uh, uh, other senators, Teddy Kennedy, what did Teddy Kennedy do? He got a major immigration bill through. It was a terrible immigration bill, but he got it through. At least that's an accomplishment. What did Joe Biden ever do other than run for president and sit on the Judiciary Committee and look very uncomfortable during the Clarence Thomas hearings? During the Clarence Thomas hearings, he's there, he's giving Clarence Thomas a hard time, and then Clarence Thomas uses the phrase high-tech lynching, and Biden puts his head down. He doesn't want to be seen on camera. What has he ever done in politics other than just be there? Not very much. That's why he's not a great candidate for president. That's why he's never been president. That's why he's never going to be the president. The, uh, and also, they say he's got blue-collar appeal. I'll believe it when I see it. I understand that theoretically, Joe Biden has blue-collar appeal. Let's see. Let's put those two guys on stage together. Because what happens in this day and age, in the social media age, the reality TV age of politics, is that authenticity is, is rewarded and artificiality is not rewarded. And this has often been true in politics, but now more than ever, because our screens are all in 4K, we're constantly communicating with people on Twitter, we're, uh, there's a 24-hour news cycle. So authenticity really is recorded and, and, and rewarded, rather. And Joe Biden is one of the most disingenuous people in politics. He's so unctuous. He's so greasy. He, he plays a blue-collar guy on TV. But does he really relate to them? For, uh, Donald Trump is a billionaire, but I think he relates to them a lot more, especially when he's sitting on his private jet and all he ever wants to do is drink Diet Coke and eat KFC. There's something, he loves fast food. He loves, he, he talks about money in the way that we all talk about money, but not in the way that, you know, sophisticates talk about money, that the elite talk about money. I think he's much more relatable. You put those two guys together on stage somewhere in the Rust Belt, Pennsylvania, wherever, I think 100% Donald Trump would blow that guy out of the water because Joe Biden is like the poor man's Donald Trump. He can't, I don't think he can put that through. But, uh, so he, he thinks that he's going to run. Bruce Springsteen, who is a Democrat, he's a yellow dog Democrat, as Democrat as they come, he says, nobody out there at the moment can beat Donald Trump. And I tend to agree with him. He says, quote, I don't see anyone out there at the moment, the man who can beat Trump or the woman who can beat Trump. You need someone who can speak some of the same language as Trump. And the Democrats don't have an obvious, effective presidential candidate. Actually, the guy who can speak the same language as Trump is Michael Avenatti. He is the guy. He speaks like a New Yorker. He's tough. He uses Italian words. He only knows like four Italian words, but he uses them, you know, basta, these sort of things. And he, he punches really hard. He uh, is apparently shameless. He's got a little bit of shame now, which is why I guess he's not going to run. But he broadly is shameless. He represents porn stars, steals their money, beats women. He's a shameless guy. He he really probably does have that oomph, and he's, he's taken the fight to the president unsuccessfully, but at least he's tried. Uh, other than that, who else is going to do it? Who else is going to beat Trump? So Avenatti's out. I guess there's Cory Booker. Never going to happen. Never, ever going to happen. He's so, the tears of rage in Spartacus doesn't play. And I, the issue, Harvey Mansfield talks about the issue that Cory Booker is facing right now, which is that he wrote this book called Manliness, and he said, that people like uh, feminine women, and people can sort of like masculine women too. That's not as, that's not really a big problem. And people like masculine men, and nobody likes womanish men. They don't like men who are crying all the time. Not womanly, womanish. 
all these bad stereotypes, crying, being really emotional, being all this. People don't like that. And that's what Cory Booker is doing. He's falling into this He's believing the left's press releases about what we want men to be. He's believing that we want men to be the sensitive man, the, the vegan, you know, the guy who uh, doesn't ever stand up and exude some chivalry and be a gentleman and be a tough guy. He's, he's buying that false narrative. And so he goes at the Senate Judiciary Committee or wherever he goes at any Senate testimony rather. And he just whines and he cries and he says he cries tears of rage and he pretends to be Spartacus. That doesn't play with anybody. Nobody likes that. Women don't like that. Men don't like that. Mansfield in his book said that men who behave like men or at least to accept the standards of how men are supposed to behave despise that sort of activity. It's a natural repulsion. And I think that's what we're seeing in, in Cory Booker. So he's not going anywhere. Kamala Harris maybe has a chance because we don't know that much about her. She's very smart. She checks a lot of intersectional boxes. So maybe she's got some chance somewhere, but she's basically untested. So we're going to have to see how she is as a candidate. Liz Warren, I think, is for all intents and purposes done. Liawatha ain't, ain't going very far. Kirsten Gillibrand is the senator from New York, Democrat. People, uh, some people are insisting that she's the sleeper candidate. She's not going anywhere. The people who think that Gillibrand is going to go somewhere are the people who were sure that Jeb Bush was going to win the nomination. There are these out of touch uh, urban professional people. Gillibrand, I don't really see going anywhere. Uh, who else? There are some sleeper candidates, uh, Sherrod Brown, um, Amy Klobuchar, who knows? We'll see. But probably Bruce Springsteen is right. Right now, Donald Trump, for all of his flaws and for all of the uh, media spotlight that we've got on his flaws, real and imagined. Right now, he's the guy who's, uh, who's leading the race. That's a very good thing. And, and we're going to keep seeing that because the left is only going to move further to the left. I think they're going to double down on this. If they were smart, they'd try to tack a little bit to the center, get rid of some of the identity politics, and try to take the fight to Donald Trump. Instead, they're doubling down on this insanity. There was a great piece today. A great piece in the Daily Princetonian or something, whatever the newspaper is at Princeton. And I bring this up, one, because these Ivy League college newspapers can write insane things, and that's kind of funny. But in this case, it's representative of what the left broadly is talking about. The piece in the Daily Princetonian says that the song Kiss the Girl in the Disney movie The, the Little Mermaid is sexist, misogynist, and promotes rape culture. I kid you not. The, so, the, the title of it is Dear Tiger Tones, Please stop singing Kiss the Girl. I guess Tiger Tones is the a cappella singing group at Princeton. She says, quote, Even when gently crooned by an animated crab, the song Kiss the Girl from the Disney hit The Little Mermaid is more misogynistic and dismissive of consent than cute. By performing the song multiple times each semester, the Tiger Tones elevate it to an, an offensive and violating ritual. No matter how great the tradition, this canonical Tiger Tones tune should be struck from their repertoire. Its lyrics raise some serious issues. The premise of the song, originally sung in The Little Mermaid, is that the male Prince Eric on a date with the beautiful female Ariel should kiss her without asking for a single word to affirm her consent. The horror! Oh, the enormity and the horror. If you don't remember the movie, I haven't seen it since I was five, probably. Here's the song. You wanna kiss the girl? Did, did you hear something? Yes, you want her. Look at her, you know you do. Possible she wants you to. There is one way to ask her. 
it don't take a word, not a single word. Go on and kiss the girl. la 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 I guess we're going to cut the song. That's the song. Kiss the girl. You know, that's how you find out if she likes you is you try to kiss the girl and we'll see what happens. So lovely song, cute little number. And this, this article is obviously an example of what happens when some 18 or 19 year old person who doesn't know anything takes a gender studies class or, or these days really any class at a university and is really examining all of the problematic, unconscious, subconscious, awful enormities in our society and then makes up problems that don't exist. But what is this girl suggesting? What is the left suggesting? The left is saying, baby, it's cold outside is a terrible song. It's being taken off of radio stations. It isn't just sophomores at Ivy League universities doing this. It's the whole whole left wing in the country. What is she suggesting? What she's suggesting is before a guy kisses a girl, he needs to ask her permission. And <laughs> I don't I don't want to be too mean about this, but for any of the guys who are at Princeton reading this article and find themselves agreeing with it, you know 100% they have never kissed a girl. <laughs> you know, maybe they've asked. They might have asked and they've gotten a lot of no's. That's what I think they've gotten. That isn't how it works. You don't. So the, what, what feminism wants to do is eliminate love. I, that sounds like an outrageous statement. Major second wave feminists have said this very fact. Shulamith Firestone, one of the most influential second wave feminists in the 1960s and 70s, called that, called one of the most influential by Naomi Wolf, another later uh, very important feminist. She said that love, even more than childbirth, is the greatest impediment to women's liberation. The love of men for women, the love of women for men. Uh, This is uh, the old line, they say there will never be a gender war because everybody's sleeping with the enemy, (laughs) or almost everybody's sleeping with the enemy. And uh, that's what they want to do. They want to eliminate love because what they want is for the, the interactions between the sexes to just be an, uh, a transaction, like a business transaction. You sign the consent uh, form, you get it notarized, you know, you file it with your lawyer and then you know, okay, good, now we can, okay, and can I kiss you on your cheek and can I kiss you on your neck? But of course that isn't how it happens. It isn't clinical. It isn't this cold, sterile interaction Usually you're having a drink, you're going out, you're at a bar or a club or something, maybe you're at dinner and there's chemistry that is going on. You lean in and just you're leaning in there with your date and just before you're about to make the move, you say, excuse me, is it okay if I kiss you, ma'am? Not anymore, it's not. It was about five seconds ago, but now it's not. And uh, this, this is what they want. I mean, they want this, this cold, sterile interaction between the two. George Will wrote about this a while ago, probably 10 years ago. He said, Cole Porter didn't write, let's do it, let's be in a relationship. He didn't. He said, let's do it, let's fall in love. And, and you know this is not true of reality because of all of the rape allegations on campus, because of the hookup culture. There was a major expose of the hookup culture. And one student said, the reason that we hook up, we get blackout drunk and hook up, is because we don't have social skills. And so they can't, they're not interacting in a normal way that men and women should interact. So they get blackout drunk to take away any accountability for their actions. And then they go and hook up because men and women are going to go do that. And then they might regret it the next day. And they might say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And it, th- that this stems necessarily from that culture. And that culture is also born of this bizarre idea of the relationship between men and women. We know that in reality, people are not going, right before they kiss you, they're not saying, excuse me, can I kiss you? No, that isn't how it works. That isn't how it's supposed to work. The flip side of that is you need to 
respect people. You need to have social uh, graces with people. You need to read the room. And if you lean in to a girl and you try to kiss her and then she doesn't want to kiss you, she'll turn away and you'll get a cheek and too bad, then you go try again. And then you've gotten your answer. There's one way to find out. You kiss the girl, she turns away or she gives you a slap or something. Too bad. You can't kiss her next time. Uh, I, I don't see this problem getting better. I don't see this moving uh, away. I don't because what's happening is our discourse is being uh, divided and separated more and more from the reality of the behavior. And so we're living in these lies and we're all giving uh, lip service to these lies. But that isn't the reality. That doesn't help anybody because if you're going to track these lies long enough, you won't be able to sustain that fantasy. And there there are very bad results for that. And we're seeing that in the sexual culture on campuses around the country. There are bad results for the men. There are bad results for the women. Uh, But there are many other good things to talk about. There are many other good uh, results. But this isn't, you know, uh, we've got to obviously talk about Ocasio-Cortez. That's the best thing we've got to talk about. There are always these good things. But even, you know, we're talking about the campus sexual culture. This is true even of race incidents. There are a lot of other hate crime hoaxes that have been going around. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. If you're on dailywire.com, thank you very much. You keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. If you're not there, Go to dailywire.com. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get test questions in the mailbag. None of that matters. This is what you get. You get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. Mm. Oh, they're very good. This is the Avenatti brew. I mean, this is, so it's a little saltier, a little spicier. You know, it's it coming up in greater numbers. Uh, you, you used to be only to get it when you, when you tuned into CNN. Now you can get it hand-delivered in your Leftist Tears Tumblr. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. This idea of the language that we're all using, the, the fantasies, the speech, the lies that we're living in, and the reality on campuses, even just looking at campuses, you see this even in hate crimes, in so-called hate crimes. There, we are told that there is an epidemic of racial hatred and bigotry spreading throughout the country. It's awful. We live in this terrible, racist, bigoted place. And the reality is we don't. We live in the most equitable, fair, just, free society in human history. Uh, but because we're saying that, because we're paying lip service to this lie, to this fantasy, There is a cognitive dissonance there, and people on the left have to go in and try to make the reality, the good reality, they're trying to make that fit the terrible fantasy. So they're trying to make the reality works. Uh, This just came out uh, today. Finn Ajani Arthur, 21-year-old from Brunswick, Maine, was arrested at 6 p.m. a couple days ago on the Townsend campus and charged with two counts of malicious destruction of property, according to Baltimore County Police. Uh, The malicious destruction of property was that they uh, found swastikas and the word KKK uh, spray painted uh, with the names of four black students spray painted on the building. So four black students had their names, swastika, KKK. One of the students' names spray painted was Finn Ajani Arthur. They said that this was a hate crime. They were going to find the culprit. Who's the culprit? It's the kid himself. He was, he was framing himself because he wanted attention, because he wanted to call attention to the hate crimes and the racial bigotry that simply doesn't exist. Because he's, he knows, he knows that this country is so racist, it's so awful, it's so terrible. 
You say, well, show me evidence of that. He says, I can't show you evidence because mm, this isn't good. And he's going to make up his own evidence. Uh, Rachel Dolezal was doing this. The fake black woman, the woman who pretended to be black and darkened her skin. She would send hate mail and threatening letters to herself as the head of her local NAACP chapter. These people are insane, obviously, but it's not just that. It's not just that they're mentally unbalanced. It's not just that they want attention. It's that they are buying into a narrative and they are frustrated every single day that the narrative isn't true. So they are going to make the narrative true. They are going to bring racial prejudice, even if it's just a fiction, even if it's just a fantasy. And we see these all the time. A while ago, there was a black cadet at the Air Force Academy who said he found a racist message written in his dorm. Guess who wrote the message? He wrote the message. There was obviously with the the rape hoax at UVA, uh, Jackie Coakley, I think it was, who said that she was gang raped at this fraternity at UVA. Turned out it was totally false. She made it all up. A ton of other sexual assault hoaxes at the University of Michigan, a student faked an attack. At a Minnesota school, they shut down classes for a day because of a fake attack. This is not just an isolated incident. It's happening because people can't believe that the reality doesn't match their sick fantasy. And it's much easier to to, uh, not dislodge your wrong idea. It's much easier to just force reality to more closely resemble the idea. You, You see this in transgenderism. This is another, another aspect of this leftist ideology where we know that the man who thinks he's a woman is a man, but rather than change his mind and say he really is a man, he wants to change the reality to appear more like the fantasy. This is, this is true always of the left. They are so insisting on that. Uh, you see this in all of the utopian communist revolts. They say, well, human nature isn't behaving in the way that you're saying it should behave. They'll say, well, we're going to liquidate a few million more people. Well, we're going to kill a few more people, break a few more eggs to make the omelet. But reality will kneel to my fantasies. This is the line quoted by Democrats. RFK said this. He said, uh, George Bernard Shaw, the playwright George Bernard Shaw said, some people see things that are and ask why. I dream things that never were and ask why not. And the line he's quoting from Shaw is from a play called Back to Methuselah. And the line is actually in the mouth of the the serpent tempting Eve. It's the words of the devil who insist that we morph reality to fit our own incorrect fantasies. That's what we're getting from the left, and we should mock them for it. We should mock these kids constantly. Finn Ajani Arthur, 21-year-old, pretending that the white people in his area are horrible, racist, bigot criminals... would-be criminals, mock him relentlessly for being wrong, for being a vandal, for painting, trying to paint his, uh, his neighbors to be as sick and demented as he is. Mock that. It's crazy. It's a very good thing that their fantasies are wrong because their fantasies are scary and awful and bad. It's a very good thing that reality is as it is and we should, uh, we should embrace that. Speaking of fantasy and reality, we can't, we can't, we couldn't get through one show without talking about the latest gaffe from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Occasional Cortex, as Steve Hayward describes. Ocasio-Cortez tweeted this out. She just tweeted out, I think today or yesterday. Quote, $21 trillion of Pentagon financial transactions could not be traced, documented, or explained. $21 trillion in Pentagon accounting errors. Medicare for all costs around $32 trillion. That means 66% of Medicare for all could have been funded already by the Pentagon. And that's before our premiums. So you probably know this already because I told you that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said it. That isn't true. 
<laughs> that isn't true at all. The, so what they're talking about, $21 trillion gone missing from the Pentagon. There are reports about this that over many, many years, they've lost track of some money, $21 trillion. But it doesn't really mean that they lost $21 trillion. It means that the sum total of all these little transactions, if you couldn't account for a little bit here or a little bit there, or maybe you're double counting money or whatever, adds up to $21 trillion. doesn't mean that the money was wasted either. It just means it's not accounted for. You don't know where it is, but it could have been used on, on anything. And that number could be much higher than the number that was actually lost because of double counting. But it's not like the Pentagon is funded for $21 trillion. She, you know, the left, the left really uh, benefits because people can't really visualize the difference between a million and a billion and a trillion. Obviously, they're orders of magnitude different. But when we hear a million and a billion and a trillion, what, what do you picture? You picture a really big number. You picture an unimaginably big number. So really, numbers over 1,000, we just sort of lose track of them. The actual budget of the Pentagon is uh, less than $700 billion a year, $681.1 billion, I believe, per year. So uh, the defense spending for the next 10 years is estimated around $7 trillion. That means that if you defunded the entire military for a decade, that would only yield one-fifth of the cost of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's socialist health care scheme. She's saying you're going you're to fund the vast majority of socialist health care by defunding the Pentagon. You would have to defund the Pentagon five times over to fund this socialist health care scheme. And of course, it, you wouldn't even fund it at that point because the costs would increase dramatically. The trouble with socialist health care is the costs are just going to keep going up. There's no incentive to keep costs down at all. Right? It's hard enough in our current mixed system to keep costs down with the, so many flaws in our health care system. But once you've got single payer, once you've got uh, socialist health care, you're going to have a huge decrease in innovation. You're going to have long wait lines. You're going to have people abusing the system, just like government employees uh, always abuse the system because there isn't much incentive not to. So uh, just consider those numbers. You've got to defund the entire Pentagon five times over. And, and do, do, does anybody want to do that? Do we think that that's a good idea for the last superpower on earth to not have a military or to have intelligence services or to have any of that? Of course not. Uh, she keeps tweeting. It's funny because I thought her Twitter account was now being run by the staff because she stopped saying things that were ex extraordinarily ignorant and they were only mostly ignorant. But maybe she hops on every once in a while. Or maybe her staff doesn't know very much. Imagine the kind of person who decides to work for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Imagine the kind of person who thinks, this is, the, this is who I will follow into battle. <laughs> this is who I think should be leading our country. Uh, that's the kind of person sending out those tweets. But it's just wrong. And I'm sure we're going to call Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out on this. She still hasn't deleted the tweet. And she's going to say, well, we'll just pay for it. Stop catcalling me. Stop cat. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but it's it just one more time showing you the people who are begging for socialist health care can't explain how we're going to get it. Because they say, you know, it's, it's so outrageous. They say, I'm, I'm for good things for everybody. I want to give good things to everybody. That's my position. And the mean old conservatives want, don't want good things for everybody. We say, well, no, we want, we want good things for people. How are you going to pay for those good things? They say, stop asking me those questions. You, say, you can't get the political benefit of saying, I want to get all the good things and then not deal with the reality of it. It's such demagoguery. It's so ignorant. And, uh, but this is, this is the future of, uh, of the Democrat Party. Before we go, I do want to point out one other aspect where the left is constantly getting things wrong. Tumblr. Do you know Tumblr? Tumblr is this blogging site where it's a lot of 
mostly pictures and uh, people put their art there and a lot of people put porn on there. Uh, Tumblr was purchased by Yahoo, I believe, a little while ago and Tumblr announced yesterday they were going to take all the pornography off of their website and the left was furious about this. They said, how dare you take away this, this expression? Apparently one-fifth of Tumblr users, at least, go on the site looking for porn. So it's really going to hit their stock and hit their company. So this is awful. This is not, uh, this is terrible for people. The reason that Tumblr had to do this is apparently there's a lot of child pornography on their website and nobody is policing it. And this is obviously a huge criminal matter. It, it doesn't look great for business, really bad for kids. So they're saying, okay, we're going to take all adult material off there. This is a really tough spot. It's another wedge issue for the left, which is they've got a neo-puritanism when it comes to sex and an absurd libertinism. They've got both of those at the same time. So they're the people who say, we need to host sex week at all these universities. We need to, we need to legalize polygamy. We need all, all love is love and anything you want to do sexually is good and wonderful and should be celebrated. If it feels good, do it. You should slap people around and engage in whatever sort of weird, uh, uh, kinky desires you have and engage in those. And that's perfectly fine. Also, if a man tries to kiss a woman, it's rape. Also, which one is it? Which is the, what is it? We, oh, we should have, if they, if they say we should have a ton of porn on these websites, we should have, even if, it, even if that means that some child porn is going to slip through there, but also if a man kisses a woman, it's rape and misogyny. Which is it? They're really torn on this because the natural conclusion of a totally free pornographic website without any oversight whatsoever is you're going to get illegal pornography on there child pornography, other, other illegal pornography. And uh, nobody wants that. So they're torn because they want to be able to have the licentiousness, but they don't want to have to deal with the downside of the licentiousness. They want the hookup culture because it seems so independent and people get to do whatever they want. But then they don't want to deal with sexual regret on the other side. And they're losing their minds. It's making them crazy. If they only realize that if you have a, a middle ground, a little, you hold things in balance, you deal with things in a mature way, they probably would be able to split this. But in the meantime, they're just going to keep suffering from cognitive dissonance and you're going to have lefties on Twitter defending Tumblr's child pornography. That is, that is the logical conclusion of that. Uh, that's our show for the day. We've got a lot more to get to, but we'll have to do it tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. Coming up on the Ben Shapiro Show today, we're going to talk about the latest in the Robert Mueller investigation. We're going to recap the George H.W. Bush tribute ceremony, and we will discuss whether gender reveal parties are cisnormative or something. Oh, the New York Times is a weird place. So come check out the Ben Shapiro Show and join us.